0: Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 71 is... Your Requests. Yes, it's just me in Sound of Play 71 and 9, actually 10, sort of. Fantastic tunes picked by... The Kane and Rinse community, or the Sound of Play community—I guess we can call it—but um, there's an overlap. And as you're here, uh, the theme to this show, apart from all being community requests, uh, is that they all come from games that we have covered on our main podcast or our other podcast, Canon Rinse. Uh, and I will uh, put point you. In the direction of those shows, uh, given that we are taking our annual break, actually previous years we've taken uh, like two weeks off in the summer and then two weeks off around winter, but um, that sort of staggered over time and now we're having a kind of month or so off uh, in the festive season. Uh, Not sure how that's going to work next time around. If we do another 50 in a row, we're going to get earlier and earlier. Don't worry about that. That's just admin. We'll sort it out. Uh, Yeah. So after the lavish uh, high production values of recent Sound of Play shows, well, relatively speaking, it's just you and me and these nine awesome tracks, one of which you've already heard, and I'm sure it will be familiar to many of you. It was Go Straight by Yuzo Koshiro from Streets of Rage 2, of course, or Bare Knuckle 2 in its original Japanese, as I like to point out. Uh, and this was requested by Fieldy on the forum, kainorince.com forum. And Fieldy said, This track gives me fond memories of hours spent trying to beat this game on a friend's Mega Drive. I also love the way that this reflects the early 90s house rave scene really well. Enjoy! enjoy we did and i've enjoyed that track oh so many times streets of rage 2 must be one of my most played and completed games and if you think of all the times i didn't play it all the way through uh, and just played the opening few stages uh, that must be one of my most uh played pieces of music really interesting that came out in um in November 1992 in the USA and uh, soon after in elsewhere in elsewhere around the world Japan and uh, Europe um and the the new order album that came out around that time uh, brotherhood which was uh, long awaited at the time. It came out um, sort of spring of '93, following um, four years without an album from them, which had been the longest gap up to that point. But if you listen to, um, if you listen to uh, the track "Spooky" by New Order, you'll hear that. Um, Yuzo Koshiro, I don't know if he was a direct influence or whether it was just reflective of the sounds that were around. Famously, on the Streets of Rage 2 soundtrack, you'll hear a strong influence of other artists, including the Shaman. But I always think whenever I listen to uh, that New Order album now, I'm always uh, I'm always hearing little bits of Yuzo Koshiro in there. It's almost like they were sort of um, trading notes and sounds, um, obviously. New Order probably had more luxurious studio and uh, impressive facilities to work in. Although I recently read Bernard Sumner's uh, autobiography chapter and verse, and it sounds like that uh, Brotherhood was really the start of things uh, starting to uh, go sour for New Order, and the and the the writing of that record sounded like it it wasn't uh, it wasn't that much fun. And I think that comes across in the music in some ways. But eh, we're not talking about actual bands. Um well sometimes we are but uh, in this case back to Yuzo Oshiro, yes, uh, always a favorite on Sound of Play. Of course and no doubt we'll hear more from the Streets of Rage soundtracks in future. And here's where I point you towards our other podcast. If you haven't listened to certain uh, shows that we've done on certain games or series over the years, while we're away, you can fill your ears and your time by catching up on some of the shows and we covered the Bare Knuckle or the Streets of Rage trilogy back in Kane and Rint's issue 70. So that would have been in our second year, uh, around 2012 or 13, I guess. And of course, we had uh, our friend Dan Clark on that one. Next up, the world of science fiction. A few years further down the line and a request from Goodshot Jansen, who says... In 2007, on the eve of the release of Mass Effect, few people loved Bioware as a studio as much as I. Knights of the Old Republic and Jade Empire are still among what I consider the best games ever made for their time. And upon learning of Mass Effect in a 2005 issue of Game Informer, I felt that this team of savants surely could do no wrong. Like a Star Destroyer looming over the blockade runner that was Bioware, EA appeared, absorbed our heroes, and the rest is, unfortunately, history. While EA's fetish for accessibility undoubtedly doomed Mass Effect, there is some purity of vision left in the game's first instalment. Mass Effect was the only game in the series that was able to immerse me completely in this sci-fi world. The music of Mass Effect is by far the best in the trilogy, says Goodshot Jansen. Other games included rock and uh, symphonic elements, which, while all well and good, were also boring and derivative. The score of Mass Effect was evocative of the sounds of the golden age of hard science fiction during the 1970s. The synthesizer is king here. It's atmospheric and alien without being cheesy or overpowering. The single greatest piece from this composition being, in my opinion, Noveria. This track takes me back in time, but not to a point in my life. Sure, I remember where I was and what my life was like when I hear this track. But that's after the memories of my time as shepherd in the frozen desolation of Navaria subsides. Game and score coming together to make a lasting impression. The first Mass Effect's greatest flaw was showing us what might have been. Back in the very first year of Kane and Rince, issue 22, we were still laboring under the misplaced ideal that we could cover more than one game in a show. Now, sometimes we still do. It's true. Sometimes we make a decision to cover a franchise or or a couple of games on a show for particular reasons. Um, In an ideal world, every single game would get exactly the same amount of time, but it just can't always work out that way. Uh, I'm thinking of things like Viva Piñata, where Viva Piñata and Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise make perfect sense to do as a pair because uh, the second game contains very much uh, everything that the first game had and sort of expands upon it. However, uh, tackling both Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 in one podcast uh, was perhaps a stretch too far. Now, we didn't have our own uh, self-imposed time limit of two hours back in uh Issue twenty-two, which is where you'll find us talking about Mass Effect one and two, and I think it's it's probably. I mean, I haven't listened to it for literally years. I suspect it's probably an all right podcast and a, and a pleasant listen, and I recommend that you check it out. But uh, yes, even if we tackled the Mass Effect series a little further down the line, uh, as and we did give Mass Effect three its own podcast. Indeed, we would have probably given those their own separate show. I'm with uh, Goodshot Jansen to an extent on the atmosphere of the first game being um, more sort of distinctly hard sci-fi rather than the sort of space opera vibe that you get from the second one. But I do love Mass Effect 2 very much. Um, And while I did find the third installment a disappointment, not just because of the ending, but because of the the writing and, and it just felt a bit Lackluster to me in some ways, even though it's obviously you know a high production value piece, it just it just didn't quite have the magic for me um and i while I might suggest that Mass Effect one is probably the hardest to go back to and play now it's from uh very nearly ten years ago, and certain elements are probably a little bit unwieldy um I do i do except that uh, I think there is a certain amount of the atmosphere that's got lost along the way. It'll be interesting to see if Andromeda can bring back some of that. Sticking with large-scale sci-fi, space opera even, although a different genre of game, uh, it's another request, of course, from Mauricio MM. Maybe that's MM as in 2000. Let us know, Mauricio. Anyway, Mauricio says, after months... Of having finished the Protoss campaign, I still can't get its soundtrack out of my head. I love how this piece, like many more from this expansion pack, sounds so cinematic. Like something out of a John Williams score. Just listen to those violins and those brass instruments without losing its Protoss-y character. I also enjoy how, having played the game or not, you can feel through this piece things like urgency, courage and hope. States that represent the ordeal that the Protoss civilization goes through the campaign. A very fitting piece, this closing chapter in the Starcraft saga. And this is Valor, My Shield by one or more of Jason Hayes, Mike Patty, Neil Lecree and Glenn Stafford. It's a recent track from the Blizzard Stable from StarCraft 2 Legacy of the Void. As I understand it, I am not a StarCraft guy, not because I don't like the look of it. I do, uh, but it's just hugely intimidating. Uh, and I didn't play, didn't play it back in, back in the early days, uh, and it feels like a bridge too far now. Uh, that said, since, uh, since Overwatch came out, I've installed Battle.net, um, and sometimes some of those some of those pieces of software, I do find them a little bit tempting, uh, but I should probably steer clear just in terms of the amount of time one could put into those things. Anyway, we covered Starcraft 2 Wings of Liberty, uh, the first part of the Starcraft 2 saga uh, back in Kane Rince issue 71. Obviously, given my inexpertness, inexpertise uh, on that particular franchise, I was not on that show uh, it's an enjoyable podcast, though. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. It inspired me to want to play it, uh, as many of our podcasts do. I get to listen to the ones that I'm not on, just like everybody else does. And uh, and often I come away with that same thing. We get lovely feedback a lot of the time saying, I really want to play that game now. I've listened to that show. And, uh, and I get the same thing. Uh, there are some which I have, in fact, been inspired to play uh, considerably more uh, intensely after listening to a Kane and Rince podcast that I had nothing to do with. So I'm thinking of Binding of Isaac and Spelunky and things like that, um, which I'd only really looked at, glanced at beforehand. So yeah, um, if you want to um, spend some money on, on StarCraft 2 and uh, realise just how unbelievably skillful, uh and clever the uh, competitive community is, uh, maybe listen to Kane and Rince podcast issue 71 but i understand i think that that game is kind of on the wane very much now uh forgive me if i'm wrong but uh, i believe that um things have moved on in the esports scene a change of mood for the somber now and a request from the last of us in the week uh, it's just a couple of days now since the inevitable i think we we should say sequel Uh, was announced at the PlayStation Experience. Uh, This was requested a while ago from uh, Grey on our forum. And Grey says, well, first I have a confession to make. I've never played The Last of Us, but I've watched entire playthroughs on YouTube and this game has completely captured my imagination. The entire soundtrack is on point for telling the story of the game, but there is one very short track that tells the story of the game the best, in my opinion. The track is called The Choice, and it opens with this distorted guitar playing a dark and sombre, almost blues-like melody that paints a picture of reluctant sadness and lost hope. Then, about halfway through the track, the melody changes and has an almost bright and hopeful feel to it. A subdued string section comes in at this point, and because of the lack of distortion, a new clarity is added to the track. It's as if the music has literally gone from muddled contemplation to making its choice, And with that choice, clarity of thought and the light of hope are possible. But with the game being set in a post-apocalyptic, zombie-infested world, that hope and clarity fade and the darkness returns to the track. But this time, a glimmer of the string track comes back at the end. To me, that represents optimism being crushed by the gravity of reality. But the spark of human willpower is kindling the fire of hope in spite of the odds that somehow this choice will lead the way out of the darkness. Gustavo Santolaya from The Last of Us, which first came out back in 2013. Since then, of course, we've had the uh, higher definition version for PlayStation 4. I thoroughly recommend picking that up. If you've never played it, you can download it on PS4 quite cheaply these days or pick up a disc. Game of the Year edition with the uh, the charming DLC as well. Uh, I know not everyone got on with the gameplay because it's a video game. Not everyone. There's no game that everybody likes. Um, if there's one thing we've learned in five years of discussing video games it's that somebody thinks every game is the best game ever and somebody thinks every game is the worst game ever and there's a lot of stuff in between and yeah, sacred cows are there to be slaughtered in the eyes of many but I loved The Last of Us I think it was worth every bit of, of, of critical praise that it got uh, even with you know certain certain shortcomings in certain areas uh, anyway we talked all about it you can hear us waxing lyrical mainly but also picking at its flaws of course because that's what we do back in cane and rinse podcast issue 144 uh, just google that or google cane and rinse the last of us or go to cane and use the handy dandy search function uh, or just subscribe on itunes and pick from the list there are any number of ways Now, another favourite game of mine is the Mighty Akami from Clover Studio. I only finally got round to playing it through properly for the podcast. uh, And that was a few years ago now itself. That was Kane and Rinse issue 61. So uh, relatively early in our life, we've just released uh, podcast issue 250, if you didn't know, and that's all about Bloodborne. Anyway, back to Akami. And this was requested by Jobo Bonobo. Who says, Okami is a game I have tremendous fondness for due to its gorgeous graphics, fun combat, great worlds, memorable characters, and of course, its soundtrack. A particular highlight is when you first enter Kusanagi Village. The windmills have stopped working, the air being full of cursed wind that prevents you from using your paint abilities. Your celestial brush, I think you'll find, Jobo Bonobo. The atmosphere of this place is dour and hopeless and Amaterasu is a lot more vulnerable without her godly paint powers. Celestial brush. The music exactly reflects this atmosphere with its muted tones, but this changes dramatically when you lift the curse. All the life that was suppressed in the village seems to burst out like a broken dam and the music becomes more upbeat and melodious as it too comes to life like spring after an eternal winter. While the music that accompanies the Cured Village is triumphant and vibrant in comparison to before, it maintains a slight echo of the sombre tone of its cursed counterpart. This mixture of dark and foreboding with passion and vigour makes this one a particular highlight of an already spectacular OST. So conveniently enough, if you go into the music player of Akami HD, which I retain eternally installed on my PlayStation 3's hard drive, uh, it actually tells you uh, in the music player, I think which only unlocks once you've completed the game once, tells you which of the three composers, uh, three legendary gaming composers, composed which tracks, which is very convenient. It may do that on the sleeve notes of the the epic Mighty uh, box set that uh, Sound of Play editor, The J has, um, which I think it's a, is it a four CD set? I think it's four CDs. Um, but, uh, when you import it into iTunes, uh, it all comes in, in with it, it, it identifies as a Japanese disc and as such populates with, um, kanji or katakana. I'm not entirely sure or a mixture of both characters. So, uh, so the, the player, um, On the on the on the HD version of the game, which I thoroughly recommend that if you've never played it, please download Konami. uh, Konami? (laughs) No, don't have anything to do with Konami anymore. Uh, Akami HD for your PS3. Uh, And that was six and a half minutes of Hiroshi Yamaguchi's uh, wonderful piece for Kusanagi Village. Sticking with the the land of the rising sun for this one, uh, we're going to do a two in one because. Irregular, regular correspondent contributor Andrew Brown requested simply the opening uh, to Chrono Trigger, a premonition, but that's too short. So I think we're going to have Chrono's theme, which is uh, also kind of, I think, known as Chrono Trigger or Chrono Trigger. I know some people say, prefer to say, I've never been quite sure because it's a 16-bit game. There's no speech in it. Uh, Andrew Brown says, if ever there was a game that could support a sound of play special episode all by itself, it would be Chrono Trigger. I would squeeze my pants off if this episode ever happened, just saying. I think your pants are safe. I don't think we're ever going to do uh, one game Sound of Plays. We, we may do uh, as we already have done. We've done franchises and series and other themes, uh, types of music, genres of music. Uh, we've got a few cool ones lined up and planned. Um, but just playing loads of tracks from one soundtrack, um, there's not really much purpose to us doing that in my opinion so uh, you know YouTube is your friend Uh, but anyway this is so uh, yeah composers hard to come by on this one there's no handy music player which tells you uh, who composed which track so a premonition chronos theme by one and or more of Yasunori Mitsuda, Nobuo Uematsu and Noriko Matsueda Playing it on and off, I finally got around to completing Chrono Trigger in time for our podcast, which was uh, Kane and Rint's issue 166. Uh, it, despite kind of finishing it over uh, over 20 years, I guess, after, no, around 20 years, something like 20 years after it was first released on the Super Nintendo, Super Famicom, uh, it's still, on the DS, it became one of my favourite uh, sort of jrpg experiences i think it's uh, it's aged in certain ways but in other ways it's aged like a fine wine to use a cliche um you can pick it up these days on uh, android and ios i'm not sure if that's the best way to play um, i think it came out on wii virtual console as way, as well but not wii u and i think certainly in america but not over here anyway you can still download the playstation 1 Version and play that on uh, Vita or PS3. Uh, I recommend seeking it out in some form or other. I think it's, uh, it's still got a lot of magic, great characters, great scenarios, and cool combat as well. Now, something from back again in the sci fi and the Microsoft stable. Uh, this is uh, an astonishingly enjoyable piece, I think, from Martin O'Donnell, and it's requested by Mononoke. Who says the music from the Marty O'Donnell scored Halo games remains among my favorite video game music of all time. And this track defines the very best of Halo action music. Displayed in the Climactic level, The Covenant, as two giant scarabs descend from the sky and you must rise to the challenge to take down these mighty foes. Though the scarabs aren't actually much of a char- challenge in reality for the seasoned Halo player such as myself, this track evokes those feelings of heroic daring. do so well it never fails to spur me on in excitement and energy every time I hear it. This is one final effort. To 10 years ago now Halo 3 finished the fight and all that jazz on the Xbox 360 and you can of course now also play uh, Halo 3 as part of the Master Chief collection on Xbox One uh, we covered the entire Halo series up to 4 because 5 wasn't out at the time we did it in the run up to the release of 5 uh, we covered the whole series and Halo 3 just happened to land on Kane and Rince podcast issue 185, but feel free to seek out the others either side. Uh, ODST got its own podcast just after Halo 3. Um, and that was an interesting show in its own right, I think as well. So yeah, but wow, that music still has the power to uh, to make the hairs on one's neck stand to attention, I think. So penultimately for Sound of Play 71, we have something from uh, the previously accidentally mentioned Konami. Sam Watts says, The Fury might not be everyone's favourite boss battle from Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, but I find it an exciting struggle when the difficulty isn't set too high. Although the fury doesn’t have any obvious mechanic apart from his flamethrower, this battle is a great test of the player’s abilities in balancing their exposure and their sneaking. Keep too great a distance, and you’ll find the arena quickly set ablaze. Keep too close, and you risk getting incinerated yourself balance is key and the pressure is always mounting this track excellently reflects this your armored stalker clunking through the narrow corridors as you hear the echoey voices and low drum roll around you building intense pressure suddenly the pressure blows and the fury charges recklessly at you like a wall of flame and the track kicks into full gear one misstep and it's all over So that's the Fury by well Harry Gregson Williams and or Norihiko Hibino. Hard to be sure. There are certainly echoes of uh, pieces from the Metal Gear Solid canon in in that uh, in that piece, as well as as well as also echoes of the the very James Bond like stuff. Now I know that uh, it was Norihiko Hibino. I say I know. I'm pretty sure it was Norih- Norihiko Hibino. Who was responsible for the uh, the famous opening title track, the the amazing Bond pastiche, uh, Bond theme song sort of John Barry style pastiche, but obviously Harry Gregson Williams also did lots of work. Um, he you know massively beefed up uh, Tapi uh nefariously gotten main theme from uh, Metal Gear Solid, which as we previously discussed is actually a reworking of a piece of Russian classical. Um, So, yeah, it's hard to know. It it could be a genuine collaboration. It it certainly has um, an Eastern tinge to it, but it also sounds very much like Western cinema music. So either way, that's the fury. We talked a lot about Metal Gear Solid. We covered uh, Metal Gear 1 and 2 in one podcast, and we went all the way through to Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. At the time of recording this, we haven't yet discussed or laid out our plans for next year's. Kane Rinse podcasts, obviously Metal Gear Solid Five and its uh, sort of prequel Ground Zeroes. Uh, so both it and Phantom Pain are very much up for discussion whether they'll be included, but there's no guarantees. We can only do fifty shows a year, and there are a lot of games. But um, yeah, we before we uh, for various reasons imposed our two hour limit on podcasts. Uh, we did Metal Gear Solid, so some of those shows are pretty long. Um, and I'm pretty sure that our Metal Gear Solid 3 show is a, is a good two hours plus, two hours, 20, two and a half hours, something like that. Anyway, you can find it, Kane and Rince, uh, podcast issue 39. Remember, listeners, please do venture over to our forum, slash forum. Or you can also follow us on Twitter, I think you ought to, at Kane and Rince. Uh, If you use the hashtag Sound of Play, we're more likely to see it and remember that it's a request for the show. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash You could message us there. We'll just post on our timeline if you wanted to make a request. Just let us know what it is, uh, perhaps a YouTube link if possible, and a few words about the piece and why you want us to hear it. As I say, it doesn't always have to be favourite epic magisterial pieces of wonder. It can be curios. It can be things that were technically astonishing for their time, eight and 16-bit music. We've had uh, we've had a couple of comments on the the, the forum recently asking for more eight and 16 bit stuff, uh, from my point of view with pleasure, but, uh, but you, if you request it, we will play it. So, um, keep those eight and 16 bit coming, uh, tunes coming in and they can be console. They can be computer. Uh, it can even be handheld as long as we can find a way of getting the music onto the podcast. Uh, and it's not completely unlistenable. <laughs> uh, Request your favourites. We'll continue to include a selection in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play podcast. While you may already be subscribed to Sound of Play, please do if you're not. Do also consider leaving us a review or a rating on iTunes or whichever other platform you get your podcast from. It really does help us. Uh, Part of the iTunes charts um, algorithm is based on reviews and ratings. So it's not just purely download figures. And while Sound of Play continues to uh, increase its download numbers, uh, we could, our presence, our profile could be helped further by by you uh, adding reviews and ratings. If you enjoy the show, uh, just remember to put something that, uh, there on iTunes. Um, and that's very helpful. If you really enjoy what we do, perhaps including the other podcast, Kane Rince, uh, we do have a Patreon that you can contribute to, patreon.com slash Cana and it's uh, run in the style of a donation box or a tips jar Uh, you're not paying for content as such you are contributing to us uh, keeping doing what we are doing and the time and the equipment and the hosting fees and all that sort of things uh, thing that it takes us to do Uh, I'm sure you understand and it's all very very much appreciated Uh, so thank you to all our contributors our music requesters on this sound of play do keep them coming i've used up another nine so we're going to need some more uh, we have a few backed up but we can always use more so for our final track it seems appropriate to close with an ending theme this is requested by i believe a new contributor blue weasel breath i don't know if the breath is blue or the weasel One track I was surprised to see hasn't been on your show yet, perhaps because it's too obvious or just because no one had requested it yet, is the end credits music for Super Mario World composed by Koji Kondo. I believe the official name is just ending, although the smooth jazz arrangement on the official soundtrack album was entitled Thank You, Mario. Getting to the end of Super Mario World for the first time was a big deal for me as I've been going for completion and spending a lot of time with the game. The credit sequence is one of those few that I feel truly rewarding, partly because of the parade of characters and cast shots that accompany the credits, but in large part due to this tune, which I love. It perfectly conveys the tone of celebration, accomplishment and fun and somehow manages to evoke a sort of showbiz, bye everybody, see you next time. The original arrangement has a jazz big band feel to it and for whatever reason I've always imagined it with lyrics. Perhaps it's the phrasing of the melody that suggests a vocal line to me. I'm not sure. It got stuck in my head for ages after I heard it, and this was before the days of YouTube. So the only way to hear it again was to beat it again, this time on the second quest. This song has always evoked that joy and nostalgia for me ever since. So, yes, we'll leave you with uh, Ending by, of course, Koji Kondo from Super Mario World, subtitled Super Mario Brothers 4 in Japan, as we discussed back in Kane and Rint's podcast issue 113. We also squeezed. Uh, Yoshi's Island in there as well arguably not really a core Super Mario Brothers game but there it is, it was subtitled Super Mario World 2 over here, so we did that Uh, apologies if you're offended, apologies Yoshi baby Mario, baby Luigi anyway, thank you to everybody for requesting tracks and contributing and for listening and uh, Ryan, I I imagine will be your host for Sound of Play 72 next week until next time, goodbye